Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get grown. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer, and today I'm joined by Andy Bitter, who covers the Virginia Tech Hokies for us here at The Athletic. And Andy, uh, when you first uh, got on the line here, the first thing I asked you is, what the hell is wrong with the Hokies? Uh, And your answer would be? I don't know, but something. (laughs) I mean, Miami (laughs) Miami fans thought that things were going south with Mark Richt, and maybe I would start off slow here with Diaz. But, man, uh, Virginia Tech says hold my beer. Uh, for for how things have just kind of just the bottom's fallen out with stuff with the Hokies and they, I, honestly I have a hard time explaining it exactly but uh, something is clearly amiss because they've just been non-competitive uh, lately certainly in their latest game against Duke. Did they lay down in that game in your mind? Do you think they just quit? <sighs> you know, to say quit. I feel like it's tough. Uh, like quit is like guys just aren't even trying. I felt like guys were trying, but I, I feel like there's something with this team that like one little thing goes wrong and they kind of fold. And I think there's a difference between folding and quitting. And, uh, you know, folding is just, uh, you know, things start to snowball. They just can't do anything right. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say the effort's not there, but just something is not clicking. Whereas I've seen teams quit on a coach before i don't know if that was necessarily the case in that duke game but uh it is alarming for Hokies fans that five times in the last 13 games i think it is including the miami game last year they've lost by 20 or more points i went back and looked and frank beamer's last five years that happened five times uh and that happened against some pretty good teams it's been having against like clemson you know peak of its powers or getting there clemson number one alabama uh, a Miami team that had, you know, there was mediocre record-wise, but had guys like Duke Johnson and Eric Flowers and all that. So I mean, some talented teams, you know, not Duke and Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh of last year, which are decent. And I'm not saying that's a bad team. I'm just saying those aren't teams you should be losing by 20 or more points to. I know they're ranked 51st in total defense, which isn't bad, but you know, to give up 40 what was it 45 points to Duke in that game and and. I'm looking at the the football power index that ESPN puts up. They're 81st right now in, uh, in, in in those rankings. I think their team efficiency rankings 110th. These are just things you don't expect out of the Hokies, especially out of you know the way that they've been for so long, where they've won this division, they've pretty much owned it. And right now, I think they're they're projected to win just two of their final eight games, uh, according to this football power index that ESPN does. Do you think there's any chance that by the end of this season, Fuente could be out of a job if it, if it gets much worse? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, crazier things have happened, but there is the matter of the $15 million buyout on his contract. Mm-hmm. And that falls to $12.5 million on December 15th. But, you know, honestly, if you don't have $15 million to spend on December 1st, I doubt you have $12.5 million to spend on December 15th and, you know, kind of even further muddy this entire signing class and this whole whole uh, signing period that's going on there. So I would think that regardless of anything that happens and, you know, even if it's possible, worst case scenario, going like three and nine or four and eight, which I, I think amazingly is in play uh, for this team. Uh, I don't think anything happens to Fuente, but 
you know, this is insane times. I mean, UNC paid a $12 million buyout on Larry Fedora last year. Uh, I think Les Miles' buyout was $12.9 million originally. Uh, UCLA paid a huge sum to get rid of Jim Mora. I mean, it's happened before. Uh, it would just, it, honestly, it would shock me, though. I mean, this was, you know, Fuente was with Badcock's hire, the AD here. That was only a couple years ago. He gave him the big extension uh, a couple years ago. I mean, a- after year one, LSU was sniffing around with Fuente. After year two, Florida State was kind of kicking the tires a little bit. I mean, there was the legitimate interest in this guy who won 10 games in his first year with the Hokies, nine in year two. So it's not like he's not had success here before. Uh, but, I mean, if you go from that start to where it is now, and this is not a program that's accustomed to losing, you know, maybe. I, I could see maybe if some big donors or something like that step up. But I would say highly, highly unlikely that anything happens to him uh, at the end of the season. Now, he might be forced to make changes. He's already going to have to change a coordinator on defense with Bud Foster, who's retiring. Uh, maybe looking at how this offense has performed, there might be something in the works with offensive coordinator, too. I'm not sure, but uh, you know, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Who's the scariest guy on this offense right now for Miami uh, going into this game in your mind? Who's the guy that they got to worry about? You know, the, the best player they have and the biggest play guy is Trey Turner, uh, receiver for them. He, I think looked like he kind of hobbled off the field in that Duke game. They, they took a shot to him deep. Uh, there was a long running play uh, in the second quarter, and he kind of hobbled off the field. He's, he's had some hamstring issues, so I don't know how serious that is. Uh, so if he's not full strength, maybe uh, less of a, a threat in that sense. But when he's healthy, uh, he's the best guy they have out there. Uh, you know, Damon Hazleton, another guy who's, who's dealt with had, uh, hamstring problems at receiver, I'd probably say they're one-two pretty close to each other uh but but again neither of them have been quite full strength all season so it's you know hampered their effectiveness quite a bit it seems like turnovers have been a big deal for this team too i I saw they've they've coughed it up what 11 times and they're minus eight in the turnover margin it seems like that's uh, an area where maybe miami could take advantage or plus six yeah, I think the chain will be making some appearances on Saturday. <laughs> I think that's a, a fairly safe bet. I mean, Virginia Tech has been horrible with with ball protection. Uh, quarterback Ryan Willis has been very uh, you know loose with the ball. Quite a few interceptions. He threw one the other day where it looked like he was kind of trying to throw it away, but didn't quite get to the sideline. That got picked off. Uh, you had two in the in the end zone or near the end zone in the opener against Boston College. Uh, just has not been very careful with the ball. And then, you know, they've had some fumbles, too. Uh, they had a costly one last week. Hendon Hooker was in the game at quarterback, kind of mishandled a, uh, an exchange with Keyshawn King, the running back. I'm not sure exactly who's to blame on that. But but either way, the ball was on the ground. Uh, that, was a, that was a turnover when it was 3 to nothing. Virginia Tech was leading. Uh, Virginia Tech was pretty much dominating the game. I think Duke had 11 yards on three its first three drives after one quarter and a couple minutes had done absolutely nothing on offense. They turn it over like that. Duke scores in one play, and I think Duke ripped off 31 straight points at that point. So, uh, you know, the defense played okay at that point, but that turnover just was a backbreaker, and they never recovered from it. So, uh, yeah, this team needs to tighten it up on the turnover front, and I don't know if they have the guys that pay enough attention to that to get it done. Now, defensively, I'm looking at some of these analytical numbers here. 104th uh, rushing yards allowed. They're uh, 189 a game, 4.34 uh, yards per carry. They are getting to the quarterback, though. They've got 10 sacks, so they, so they can't put some pressure, and obviously that's a, it's a weak area here for Miami. 
Um, but what do you think about this matchup for Virginia Tech defensively uh, with the Hurricanes? Jaron Williams obviously hasn't thrown an interception yet, although he's thrown a few passes that went off of guys' hands in the wrong color jersey. So uh, what do you think Virginia Tech looks at uh, Miami in this game on defense? You know, it's tough to say because, you know, the Hokies have kind of been all over the map defensively. Uh, like I said, they looked as good as they've good, looked all year through that first three drives against Duke, and then the bottom just fell out. And all of a sudden, Duke was hitting them with trick plays, the, you know, the, the secondary bit on a pump fake and a receiver screen, and they had two guys running downfield for a touchdown. Uh, they did a little gadget play, you know, pass out wide and a lateral back across the field that was wide open, and then they just kind of gashed them on a couple runs in the second half. Uh I don't know. It's tough to pick a strength on this team. I mean, you say 10 sacks, uh, a lot of those they've been getting from bringing, you know, corner blitzes and stuff like that. Uh, you know, outside of the uh, Furman game, they haven't gotten a ton of pressure from just its def- their defensive line. Uh, I think Deshaun Crawford, junior college guy, a tackle has been pretty good. It's got Taiwan Garbett back from an injury at defensive end. He didn't have that great of a game uh, last week, but maybe knocking a little bit of rust off. Uh, so, you know, trying to pick a strength on this defense, it's tough. Uh, you know, they have, they've, you know, other teams have run the ball on them and, you know, Miami looks like it's got a pretty good running back down there and in, in the past has run pretty well on them. So, uh, it might be a rough afternoon for the defense coming up too. Well, I was going to say, this isn't really the, the, the way Bud Foster wanted to go out, is it? I mean, the way that they've sort of performed so far is there, I mean, this is Miami though. This is a rivalry game. You think maybe the kids would rise to the occasion uh, in, in this game because it is Miami. You would think, I mean, the funny thing is, is, you know, I'm talking about the struggles on defense. This is still an improvement over last mm-hmm. year. They were horrible last year. I think they were ranked 99th or a hundred nationally. Uh, could not stop the run at all. Also couldn't stop the pass. I mean, they didn't stop much of anybody. And they played a game against Pitt last year where I think Pitt averaged like 13.9 yards per play. I mean, every time they touched it, they went 14 yards. I mean, it was, it was astonishing just how, how clueless this defense was last year. So as much as I've said they struggled, I think they're improved on that side of the ball. Uh, you know, certainly the offensive struggles for Virginia Tech has not helped this group at all. They've been on the field a lot. They've had to defend a lot of short fields with turnovers. I think all that kind of snowballs and contributes to it all. So, but I think they are better. I just don't necessarily think that uh, they're a great defense. And that's sort of what I expected. You don't go from being 100th nationally to being back in the top 10 uh, like Bud Foster's defenses are used to being. But, uh, you know, I think Hokies fans are hoping for a bit more improvement than what they've seen so far. Now, I can't let you go without talking about Trevon Hill because uh, he's over here on this side now uh, playing for Miami. He finally got his first sack. Uh, last week in the in the Central Michigan game, and he's talked about how much he's looking forward to this game and yada, yada, yada. How much is Virginia Tech looking forward uh, to facing Trevon Hill? And I guess for the, for the fans that don't know much of the backstory you were around it last year, can you, can you share a little bit of your insight as to why it is that he's no longer at Virginia Tech and why he's playing for the Hurricanes? Yeah, the exact reason, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, mm-hmm. something happened in the locker room at the halftime at ODU, uh, kind of a heated exchange. It sounds like between Hill and a coach, maybe a line was crossed in terms of what was said in, in a certain regard. Uh, either way, his dismissal was not a, just a result of that is my understanding that he's sort of had a, he and Fuente have butted heads a little bit over their time. I, I don't think, uh, this was the first instance 
of a, a behavioral thing where the kind of stepped out of line where the Hokies felt they needed to do something. You know, it, it's Fuente, you know, he sort of mentioned the offseason. It's like, like, I'm not stupid. Like, I, I didn't just wake up after the ODU game and go, hey, let's kick the best player off the team. That's going to solve, like, you know. And Hill was the best player on their team last year. I mean, he was having that kind of start to the season, that kind of player. Uh, but it was just something that rose to the occasion that Fuente felt that he had to act on it. And, uh, you know, I've read, Fuente has been pretty diplomatic about commenting on it. He said, you know, I, I don't, you know, want him to lose his career. He kept him on scholarship through the end of when he, he graduated and went on to the, to the U. Uh, he has not talked publicly about what happened. Uh, I've seen Trayvon say some stuff where they, you know, he said, oh, it was a meeting and he was being wishy-washy about that. Fuente was not wishy-washy about giving Hill the reason why he was dismissed. So I, I, you know, maybe he's got Hill has gotten a little bit too much leeway to speak about that on, on that side of things. I think it was pretty clear to everybody involved why Trayvon got dismissed from the team, even if those details haven't gotten to the public. But, you know, they haven't the Hokies haven't really talked about it a ton. I think there was a, there was a lot more talk about uh, Eric Kuma and Chris Cunningham when they played ODU. I mean, because those are two guys that left the team voluntarily and then transferred to a team that was going to be coming in and play them. And, you know, when the game actually got here, it was actually much less of a story than anything happened. I, I think Cunningham had like one carry and Kuma had one catch. It turned out being not that big of a deal. Uh, Trayvon playing a little bit more of an impact position uh, on a much better team here. And, and sort of with the circumstances surrounding that, I, I can understand why it's a bigger storyline here. I don't think any Hokies are going to go into it like, oh, man, I'm, I'm so juiced to play against Trayvon Hill or something like that. I, I can pretty much guess that the responses this week are going to be like, eh, it's just another game and, and whatever. Who's the best team in this division? I mean, we know it's probably not Virginia Tech, right? We know it's not Georgia Tech. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I feel safe saying it's not Virginia Tech. Uh, I feel safe saying it's not Georgia Tech. Those are the two that I could probably – what, what impressed you about Duke? Uh, I mean, because they look pretty good against uh, Virginia Tech, but I don't, I, you know, obviously Cutcliffe, uh, he does a great job uh, with what he's got, but I don't know what you what your honest assessment was coming away from that game. I just, you lose a, the number six overall pick in the draft. I know everybody panned that pick, even though it turns out he's, he's pretty good and he's playing well in the NFL right now, Daniel Jones, and you go, well, who they have a quarterback? And this Quentin Harris kid is really good. I mean, he's smart. He's mobile. He, it seems like Cutcliffe knows how to use him and put him in positions to succeed on that team. I mean, he wasn't sacked the other night, and he wasn't even really threatened of being sacked. I mean, I don't think they've given up but a couple sacks, if it, any at all, this year uh, with him in the backfield. So they're smart about how they drop him back and have him do stuff. Seems like they have a pretty good defense. I mean, Duke just seems like a team that doesn't beat itself too often. Uh, so, so that's why they impressed me in that regard. And maybe it was just they were going against a bad Virginia Tech team. I don't know. Uh, but I, I would certainly at least put Duke in the mix. Uh, at this point, I'd have to put my money on Virginia. Uh, as odd as mm-hmm. it sounds to put to say that about you know, a team that struggled with Old, old Dominion, uh, went on the road and played Notre Dame tough for a while, but ultimately lost by, I think it was 15, was it? The 35-20, that yeah. score. Uh, you know, a, a team that has not beaten Virginia Tech in 15 years, uh, which is an amazing streak when you sit down and think about just how, how long it's been in that regard. But, I mean, they've got a really good defense up there. They've got probably the best quarterback in the division, I would say so, in, in Bryce Perkins, a, a playmaker guy. The receivers have actually impressed me a little bit more than I thought they would, losing 
uh, Lamade Zacchaeus up there, who was so important to them. Uh, I think their Achilles heel is their offensive line. I think that's how teams can beat them if they just uh, they just beat up Perkins by getting pressure on them. And that's pretty much what Notre Dame did in that second half. But, you know, if you've got a really good defense and you've got a playmaking quarterback like that, I think that gives you a chance and, and certainly a better chance, I would say, than most of the teams in the Coastal. I mean, I would still give you know Duke a chance. I would give Pitt a chance just based on how they played against UCF. Uh, I guess you can't count on UNC the way they've played so far. And then Virginia, Miami, I think those are the five they're still vying for it. And, uh, you know, unless Virginia Tech can show me something this weekend, I think I think it's pretty much a lost cause for their case. What's amazing is that, uh, you know, the Cavaliers still haven't beaten the Hokies. Is this this is finally going to be the year, right? It has to be the year. <laughs> I thought it was last year and I picked them to win by 10. And they, honestly, in the fourth quarter of that game, there's like four instances that they should have won there. Virginia Tech was going down to try to tie up the game at the end of regulation with like a minute left, I think. And they fumbled it forward into the end zone. There's a Virginia guy right there. All he has to do is fall on the ball or even like knock it out of bounds out of the back of the end zone for a touchback. And instead he like overshoots it with his momentum and the ball squirts away and Virginia Tech recovers it for a touchdown to send the game into overtime. Where, they, where Virginia Tech then kicks a field goal and Virginia fumbles at like the 20-yard line where they're going in to win the game. I mean, weird stuff like that has happened to the point where I feel like it's almost in UVA's heads about playing this team. Now, maybe there's the, the talent disparity is going to be so great this year and, and UVA is just going to be so locked in based on last year that that won't affect it. But, uh, you know, there have been years where I thought the streak was going to end in the past and it hasn't. Uh, so it, it might be another case where if it doesn't end this year, you have to just you know shake your head and go, is this ever going to end? I mean, you know it's going to end eventually, but you wonder if it ever will. You and I got to spend some time together, obviously at the uh, at the conference media days, and you know we went out to dinner. We talked a lot about uh, you know these two programs, Miami and Virginia Tech, and where they kind of go to the future. Are you still shocked that uh, Miami's only been to this conference championship once, considering some of the talent they've had coming through their doors? Or are you smart enough to know, hey, these Miami teams haven't been very good, <laughs> having watched them the last few years? Well, I think I'm shocked based on, you know, when they brought Miami in, that was a program that was among the best in the country. And honestly, you know, not far removed from the best that there's ever been in college football. That's that, you know, teams in the 2000 to 2000 three range were just incredible. I mean, you're talking about loaded with NFL talent. I mean, they set up the divisions in the ACC so that Florida State and Miami could play every year in the championship game, and it's never happened. So yeah. uh, that's kind of the amazing part. I, I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans dislike Miami for that reason because, you know, the early part of the, the aughts, uh, you know, Virginia Tech was what everybody thought Miami was going to be. They were winning the division every year. Uh, and not quite getting the credit for it that they thought they deserved. Uh, but yeah, it, it has been sort of amazing to me that uh, that Miami has not won the division more often. It's been, you know, honestly, you look at the profiles of the programs, I feel like it should be Virginia Tech and Miami every single year vying for that division title. And the fact that it's sort of rotated around uh, the entire league, all six teams so far in the last six years, and possibly Virginia the seventh this year, kind of tells you, how down those two programs could be. Because when they're at their peak, I, I, I really don't think it should be a competition. It should be those two ahead of the pack pretty easily. Yeah, you went back and you did a, a great article just about the move, uh, you know, from the Big East to the ACC uh, as far as Virginia Tech's perspective. And, and 
you know, Beamer and, and just that, those great teams that they brought over that were still very, very good. And like you said, have won this division multiple times. Uh, what, I guess, how do Virginia Tech fans ultimately feel about, um, you know, the direction of the program going forward? Do they think that they're going to get back to that here under Fuente? Or do you think in, in the long run, um, you know, maybe the glory days are behind them? Well, it's a couple things. First, I think there is a greater appreciation these days for what Frank Beamer accomplished than in his final days at Virginia Tech. Uh, I think for a while there, people just took it for granted that Virginia Tech should be that good. I mean, they won 10 games for eight straight years, at least 10 games a year for eight straight years, which, uh, you know, Virginia Tech probably shouldn't be doing that. That's an incredible level of consistency. And even with that, people still complained about it. They go, oh, well, the offense isn't shiny enough. And, you know, they, oh, they're just going to the Orange Bowl every year. They want more than that. It's like the current Virginia Tech fans would kill to go to the Orange Bowl right now. I mean, that would be <laughs> like, like I can't even believe people at one time complained about, oh, going back to Miami for the bowl game this year. It's like, well, it's better than Shreveport and it's better than Annapolis every year. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, second, I think people are starting to turn on the idea that Fuente can be the guy to take this program back to that. Uh, I think in the immediate aftermath of the hire, and you know he wins the division in his first year, ten games, gives Clemson a Clemson team that would eventually win the national championship, a really good run for its money in that title game. I think people forget how close that game was, and how how close the Hokies actually were to winning that. Uh, year two, even with a redshirt freshman quarterback, wins nine games, goes nine and four not a bad season like that, but the last two have been a disaster and the, you know, the competitiveness level has been so bad. And now Bud Foster is retiring and the 2020 recruiting class is kind of in the tank. Uh, I think there's legitimate questions about Fuente, whether he's the guy to, to do it and go forward. And it's, you know, the other night they had uh, the 1999 team there, or at least part of the 1999 team that went to the national championship gear there. So you've got Frank Beamer on the field. You got Michael Vick, in the stadium, you've got a bunch of other guys from that 99 team 20 years ago, and then you go and lose to Duke by five touchdowns at home. Uh, yeah, I think he's lost a good portion of the fan base. Now, fans are fickle, and they will come back if you start winning, but uh, you wonder if this is going to reach a point of no return where, uh, you know, can he even pull out this little lull and get them back to being competitive? Uh, it, it's amazing to me that in that 2016 cycle, you know, two of the four hires in the ACC were Mark Richt and Fuente, and everybody said those are the top two. Obvious, those are the guys that those are great hires. And now Richt is gone, Fuente's struggling, and the other two hires that year were Bronco Mendenhall and Dino Babers, who've probably done more to engender goodwill and sort of a positive upswing for their programs, even with a little step back this year from Syracuse, than Miami and Virginia Tech have. So. It just goes to show you that uh, it's very tough to judge these hires immediately after they're made because uh, things can go all sorts of directions. What, is, what does Beamer make out of all this? I mean, he's 72 years old now. I'm, I'm sure he's still around the program somewhat, right? Doesn't he show up every now and then? You see him? He's, uh, there's actually like a glass partition between the, the luxury boxes and the, uh, the media uh, press box at games, and he's always in the press box, the luxury box right next to the press box. So that's where he takes the games in. Uh, he's an ambassador for the program right now. He does a lot of drive for 25 fundraising stuff. Uh, he's on the college football committee. Uh, I can't imagine he's he likes to see the team struggle like this. I mean, he's, he's not in a Mac Brown situation. Either he's not itching to get back into coaching, uh, I can imagine. I think he's taken to the retirement life uh, maybe a little bit better than, than Mac did. 
Uh, he looks healthier than he did when he was coaching at the end of his run there. Uh, it's interesting with, with Frank, though, because he went through sort of a period like this himself. I mean, he was in year six after he was hired, and he was 24-40-1, I think was his record. And he had just come off a 2-8-1 season in 1992, and everybody wanted him fired. Everybody wanted him fired. Uh, you know, there's the famous story of some fan, you know, Frank had a listed phone number back then. Some fan calls up and his eight-year-old daughter picks up and the fan just lights into Frank and his, his daughter is like crying uh, to his mom, uh, her, her mom about uh, being called on the phone like that. So, uh, you know, he's been through it before and there was an athletic director, Dave Brain, who stuck with him through that. And he made him make some changes. They had to fire some coaches and bring some new guys on and, and do some stuff, but he thought that Frank Beamer was the guy to lead that program through. And even when a lot of people didn't think that was the case, the next season they go nine and three, make the Independence Bowl. They've made a bowl game every year since. Twenty six years uh, could be could be in trouble this year to get to twenty seven. But the point is that they saw a guy that they thought could do it if he had the right people around him and support. Uh, I'm curious if that's sort of the same situation with Fuente these days. I, I think Whit Babcock still has a lot of faith in Fuente as a head coach. He's the one who hired him. I think he wants to make this work. I think there might be some questions about those people around Justin Fuente. And if they're giving him the right support staff, then he needs to do that. Uh, Maybe that means some coordinator changes, maybe some assistant coach changes, maybe some other stuff. But uh, it's interesting that there's sort of that parallel between the two. Obviously Beamer took over a program in sanctions and not as much success as the one Fuente was handled. But uh, there are some parallels there between the two. Andy Bitter, you're great at your job, man. Love having you on the podcast. This is great. It's good to get on and uh, talk some ball here. I like it. Yeah. What do you What do you think happens here? Anybody have a chance at Cle- uh, Clemson in the ACC championship game after what you saw North Carolina do, or do you think that was a, a one shot deal, North Carolina at home? I'd have to see more of Clemson. I feel like Clemson does this every year, doesn't it? Sort of. Yeah. At least one game. Lollygags for the first half of the season. Loses. I mean, they lost to Pitt one year. It should have lost to NC State one year. Lost that Syracuse game. I mean, they do this early in the season, and then they, they turn it into this juggernaut by the end of the year. Uh, you know, maybe I wonder if that defense uh, with the de- defensive line, all the turnover that happened there, if there's a step back there, or if Lawrence is having a sophomore slump or something, but. I feel like they'll turn it around and, and the talent level there is still so far and away better than anybody else in the coastal that uh, I don't imagine it being much of a, a challenge there. Lawrence hasn't been very good. At least his numbers uh, haven't been very good. He has Well, he has as many interceptions, I think, as Ryan Willis, mm-hmm. which is not the company you want to be in uh, this time of year <laughs> when fans, Virginia Tech fans are complaining about how lackadaisical Willis has been with the ball. So uh, maybe not the best sign, but uh, I think I think Lawrence will be all right. What's the uh, what's the talk of the Hurricanes over there? Are they are they not even on the radar because they've got their own problems over there in uh, in Hokieland? Yeah, I, I think it's mostly uh, the fear of going down there and getting embarrassed at this point. I mean, it's certainly within the realm of possibility if you're getting embarrassed at home against Duke uh, to go down there against the Miami team that you know I think has won four of the last five. They've all been by double digits. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this series, outside of that one game where you know Virginia Tech just kind of unloaded on Brad Kaya with a bunch of sacks, uh, yeah, I, I think normally this week they'd be talking about oh Miami is always overrated, and it always gets more respect than it deserves, and all this stuff. 
but this week, I think Hokies fans are just looking in the mirror and going, man, what, what is wrong with this team? <laughs> the team in, in Blacksburg, what is wrong with it? They're, they're too consumed with that to be worried about who they're actually going to play next. I, I'd ask you for a prediction, but I think we both feel like Miami's going to win this game because they're at home. Although, I will say, I mean, you, you look at what Central Michigan did hanging around to the fourth quarter with Miami, you know, giving up 18 sacks on the season. They've got their own issues as well. So I'm not, I mean, I feel like Miami's going to win this game. I'm pretty confident in saying that, but I'm, but I'm still worried that Virginia Tech, because it's a rivalry game, they're going to, you know, raise raise their level of play this week. If I'd seen some sort of circle the wagons mentality out of Virginia Tech in the last year and a half, maybe I would think that way. But they just have not competed that way at all. I saw the line open at eight and a half, and it immediately shut up to eleven and a half. Uh, I still might be inclined to take Miami with that, even with the offensive struggles that the Hurricanes have had. It seems like a lot of teams get healthy offensively when they're playing the Hokies. Could very well happen for Miami this week. They need uh, they need a win and a convincing win, I think, for Manny Diaz to get a little bit of that swagger back. Because he came out talking a big game, you know, new Miami this, new Miami that. And, yeah, they played Florida tough. But that, that loss on the road at North Carolina, fans were, weren't happy. They blew that fourth quarter lead. They weren't happy about the Central Michigan game. So... Right now, I think they need they need to sort of send a statement. It's kind of, I kind of expect them to come out hoping uh, to blow out Virginia Tech and, and to dominate this game. What's amazing is, uh, you know, Miami struggled so much. and They have a chance in the next two weeks. They could seize control of the division. Virginia <laughs> really Tech is. and Virginia back-to-back week. I mean, they, they could deliver a death blow to Virginia Tech's, you know, any hope that they have of the division. I mean, they're 0-2. They got a long enough shot right now. But 0-3, you're done. Mm-hmm. At that point, they could just knock them out, and then you got a head to head against UVA, the team that everybody's putting at the top right now. So, uh, I'll be very curious to see how this plays out because, as you know, the coastal division from week to week, nobody has a clue, we- <laughs> nobody knows how it's going to go, and that's what's so entertaining about covering it. It is fun, it is fun, It'll, and it, I bet you it still comes down to that Virginia Tech Virginia game at the end of the season. I, I just I know it does, it always does. You'd think, but uh, I, man, it is just a strange season. I mean, think about this. Virginia could be going in that game trying to clinch its first Coastal Division ever, trying to end a 15-year losing streak to the Hokies, and if things play out right, trying to end Virginia Tech's 26-year bowl streak. All of that could be on the line in that game at the end of the year in Charlottesville. So, uh, you know, the, the Hokies might not be good right now, but it's certainly an interesting program to be around. All right, Andy. Appreciate it, man. Good talking to you, and uh, I guess I'll see you Saturday down here at Hard Rock. All right. Sounds good. All right, thanks to Andy Bitter for joining the program this week and helping us break down Saturday's game against the Hokies as well as give a look to the rest of the division, the Coastal Division, uh, and where Miami sort of stands in this whole thing. Uh, Before we go, I got a question in this week's mailbag from Jason B. He says, Hi, Manny. Watching Georgia Tech, Notre Dame last week was happy for Lawrence Cager that he had a big game. He seems to be doing well at UGA. Made me wonder if our offense would look any different this year with Cager still on the team. Understanding our offensive line has its issues. Perhaps having an extra big guy to block slash receive would help. What are your thoughts on why Cager left, and if he would be, if the team would be any better with him this year? Well, it it is funny to see Lawrence Cager playing as well as he is for Georgia. Obviously, the uh, Bulldogs had a big need at wide receiver, so he he, ha- he has played well uh, for the Bulldogs. But you know, one thing I'll say, I think sometimes players need change of scenery. And I think Lawrence Cager, for whatever reason here, struggled to really mesh uh, with the receivers coach, uh, Ron Dugans. Obviously, Dugans is gone. uh, But I think 
Lawrence, in his own way, just needed a change of scenery. He wasn't playing uh, up to his expectations here at Miami. He wasn't getting the ball as often as he wanted. And to be honest, I think the Hurricanes are sort of better off with uh, K.J. Osborne, a graduate transfer from Buffalo. K.J. is obviously you know, leading the team in receptions along with Brevin Jordan. And I think K.J.'s kind of been the right guy to come sort of deliver that senior message, you know, fifth-year senior graduate transfer message to the rest of that receiver room. So while I'm sure it hurts Hurricanes fans to see Lawrence Cager playing well in Georgia and saying what if they had kept him here too, I think in the end it was the best thing for Cager and probably the best thing for the program to go in separate directions. Uh, again, they're better off with Osborne, and, and they're getting some playing time for some of the younger guys like Brian Hightower and uh, Mark Pope who needed to get an opportunity to get on the field and contribute in some way. So I think that uh, the Hurricanes – uh, are better off overall. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this show. Uh, we'll be back Thursday with more show, uh, probably recapping some of the stuff said this week by Manny Diaz and some of his coordinators. They're going to talk on Monday. We'll get players on Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll hopefully have some uh, updates in terms of injuries. Reminder, we will have Bubba Bolden back uh, for the Hurricanes this week. He's going to make his debut against Virginia Tech. It's expected that Nesta Silvera and Patrick Joyner will also uh, end up playing in this game against the Hokies. So uh, if you're a Miami fan hoping to get some reinforcements, it, that's kind of what's expected. We'll have to see about Mark Pope uh, and that left foot. But I think for now, Miami's in a good spot heading into this Virginia Tech game. They're 2-2. Two and two. Virginia Tech's reeling, as we as we discussed earlier in the show. I think Miami's going into this game uh, favored, and I, and I expect them to bounce back from that Central Michigan performance and dominate. So, all right, it's going to wrap it up uh, for my producer, Mike Zimmerman, for Andy Bitter. I'm Manny Navarro. We'll see you on Thursday. Better press on them brakes. Osborne on that fade. Cut through the defense like a blade. Got the best tied in tandem. And we proving it. O-line, young and mean. Ready to bust you in your teeth. Triple threat, take too real.